Well, I'm looking at a room full of people this morning who all have many things in common, but one of those is we all have a father and uh, learn different things from our fathers and learn skills and learn ways to handle different things in life. But also one of the things that we share in common with our fathers is that as much as we try to do our best as fathers, we're all going to make some mistakes. There are going to be some times when we fail, when we disappoint. And the reason why I sinned as a father is because my father sinned. And the reason why my father sinned was because his father sinned. And the reason why he sinned is because Adam sinned. So sin is something that has been impacting families for a very long time. And then we are presented with the wonderful good news of Jesus that life can be different. And we're so excited that there is a new standard and a new way of living in Christ that we find this resource that enables us as fathers to live far beyond anything that we could do on our own. But even then, what we discover is that we find one of the most difficult things in the Christian life, at least it has been for me, is leaving our old ways behind. You see, we all have a past. The subject of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, is leaving our old past behind. That's the title and the theme of our message this morning. I want you to follow along in God's Word as we begin the reading at the 17th verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 17. Therefore I say this, and I testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts, They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you came to know Christ, assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self, that's corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in the righteousness and purity of the truth. Let's pray. Lord, when we come to your word, we we find that the human intellect, the human mind, is not enough to absorb what you want to say to us this morning. We need help beyond our own uh, faculties. We need the Holy Spirit this morning to be able to take the Word of God and open our eyes and open our hearts to see it for what it is, a word from you. And not just a word from you for everybody, but also a word specifically for us. And Lord, that word touches home in the heart of every person in this room in some way. And so I pray that you'll reveal that to us. Not only reveal it, Lord, but that we'll be receptive to it and that we'll be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Bob Deffenbaugh shares how he had 
throughout his lifetime as a father had the practice of going to uh, garage sales and other things and finding other people's junk and bringing it home and oftentimes repurposing it and using it in some other way than what it was originally designed for. And being a father with a little girl, she picked up on some of his uh, uh, traits and one of those things she carried over into her adult years was this same practice of finding things and repurposing them. And Bob tells a story about how when his daughter was in college, she and her roommate were driving down the road and they're in a Volkswagen Beetle when they looked over on the side of the car, on the side of the road, and they saw a toilet that had been placed out by the curb to be thrown away, waiting for garbage pickup. Well, the two looked both ways, and they couldn't resist. So they pulled the car over, and they loaded this toilet seat together in the back of this Volkswagen and drove off and took it to their apartment where they repurposed it and used it as a flower pot. In that story... There's a lesson about what God has done for us as Christians. You see, in our sinful state, apart from Christ, we were placed out by the trash, good for nothing, ready to be tossed away. But then through the good news of Jesus and by his own love, he redeemed us and he saved us and repurposed us. And that's the message that we have from God's Word this morning. It's about how God has repurposed us, how He has a plan for us. And so what Paul does here is he talks with these believers, he realizes we've all got a past. And those things that were in our past, we want to keep in the past, but what we find as Christians, as much and as as greatly as we desire to follow Jesus, there are these old ways that kind of tag along behind us that we keep having to deal with and they never go away permanently. In fact, sometimes they pop up at the most inconvenient moments. Now what Paul does here is he goes to talk to these believers about what it means to be in Christ and so he goes back and he talks with them about how they can leave their old ways behind and he says to them in our text, In Christ, there are certain things that are required. If you want to leave your old ways behind, it requires, first of all, putting the world behind you. In verses 17 through 19, I read those few verses a moment ago, and we couldn't help but recall other things that Paul has said about what it means to be apart from Christ. And I want you to take God's Word, and I want you to turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 2 what we read in the first three verses there. It says there, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. Now he's talking about these people who have come to faith in Christ. And he says, you remember, this is the way it was for you before you came to know Jesus. Uh, We previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts, 
And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So what he does is he says, uh, let me just kind of remind you of a few things. Now we've experienced a change in Christ, but we all know what we once were. Yeah, Paul, I understand what you're saying. I was lifeless. In fact, the scripture says, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and there's more. (laughs) Oh, wait, there's more. It says that I was captive to Satan to do as he willed. And I was helped along the way because the world around me doesn't seek to please God, and it had its tug on me, and then besides that, there's my own sinful flesh, and it had its tug on me, and between the two of them, I wasn't even aware that Satan was, uh, had his grip on me or that I was following his ways. I just was happily going along, and it seemed like I was going along as many other people around me were going. But then Paul says to these people in Ephesians chapter 4, He says that being born again is meant to reverse the way we were apart from Christ. We experience a total reversal of the way things were before. And so what he says in verses 17 and 18 and 19 to me speaks of a characterization of what we were like before we came to know Christ. The causes for those characteristics of our lives and the consequences of those characteristics and those causes. So in verse 17, the thing that he says to us, first of all, if we're going to put our past behind us, he says, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live. Now, there are several things that are implied by this command. First of all, we just noticed the two words, no longer. That's not rocket science, but the words no longer mean make a clean break from it. Let the past stay in the past. And there are some things that come along with that. Paul is saying here to these folks in verse 17, he's saying, you know, faith in Christ demands a radical change in the lifestyle. As believers in Christ, now what we're going to do is we're going to renounce and we're going to cease living the way we used to live. We're no longer going to live that way. Secondly, we find that we have a new relationship to the world as a believer in Jesus Christ. We no longer are a part of the world system. But there's been a reversal. We were citizens of the world, the world that is controlled by the Satan, our flesh, and uh, the world around us, this world system that is anti-God. But there was a reversal that took place. You see, in our old state, the way we were was we were citizens of this world, but now we've become citizens of God's kingdom. And thirdly, we notice that we have a new relationship to the culture around us. We are citizens in this world, and these saints who were living in Ephesus, who came to faith in Jesus Christ, they were surrounded by other people in that city, who had not yet come to faith in Christ. So they were dealing of the influence of the people around them, and there was a great deal of pressure. 
The first pressure was when you became a believer in the city of Ephesus, and we know this by a fact from what we see of Paul's visit there in Acts chapter 19, we know that it was not easy to be a Christian in Ephesus. And the reason it was not easy to be a Christian in Ephesus is because many people made their living off of uh, the worship of pagan idols. And so because of that, when you came to faith in Christ, obviously you had a, a new God, a new Savior that you were serving, but there were people around you whose very livelihood depended upon the products that were associated with worshiping these pagan idols. And so one of the things that you experienced immediately in the world as a follower of Jesus Christ is that there's this, this pressure that comes because, you know, there are not a lot of people that are going to just pat you on the back and say, man, we're so proud of you for following Jesus. And the other thing is, is because the people around them are people with which they've had friendships and associations all their life, is there's this extreme pull to go back and live similarly to the way they lived before because, you see, that's the example of all those that are around them. In fact, nobody's going to blame you for doing that if you decided to do that. You'll just fit right back in with them the way you were before. The fourth what he is saying with this passage when he says no longer do this is he's saying there's a change in our mental processes but that doesn't happen when you don't know Christ and Paul points out to them that what we believe determines how we behave. Christianity runs cross-culture or counter-culture to our world. It, it runs against the grain of everything around us. And if you know anything about the Bible and if Jesus is real to you, you watch the news report sometimes, you listen to the commentary, and you just cringe on the inside because everything is screaming at you. This is, this is so counter to what's right as I know it in the Bible. This is so different from the model that I see in Jesus Christ. It's so far from the way I want to live my life and the way I want my family to be raised. And so he says to them in verse 17, he says, you are no longer to live as the Gentiles live. And then he goes on to say this. He said, how did they live? Look at it in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4. They lived in the futility of their thoughts, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Now, futility is not to be mistaken with stupidity. <laughs> Paul would never be one to call Plato or Aristotle or Socrates stupid. These were men of great intellect. These were men of, who were brilliant, highly intelligent. But what he is saying there when he describes those who are apart from Christ as being futile in their thoughts is he's saying that their thoughts as great as they may be as brilliant as they were did not produce anything lasting or of eternal value it was futile but also they were darkened in their understanding you know as an unbeliever just as a rule an unbeliever thinks that life ends with death. And so, you know what? When you don't know Christ, what you want to do is you want to avoid suffering at all costs. That's, that's one of the main things you want to do. And the second thing it is, 
is have a good time, live it up. I mean, we only go this way once. And so they had the belief that life ends with death, and so do and have all the fun you want to have right now because this is it. They're darkening their understanding because they don't understand that we as believers, as we understand life, is that everything that happens to us in this life has purpose, has meaning, that God can use it to make us into the image of His Son, Jesus, with whom, at the end of this life, we will spend eternity. And all the ways that we have handled those things and received those things that God has used to make us in the image of Jesus Christ, all of those things are going to pay benefits in the end. There's going to be an eternity where we can enjoy the life that we have lived. And then it says they are excluded from the life of God, and simply that means that a Christian's thinking is based upon the Scriptures, but that's not the guideline for the people who are in the world we understand that the mind that is set on the flesh is extremely different from the mind that's set on the spirit. Now that's the characteristics, but look at the causes. The root cause of the distortion of the Gentiles' thinking, he says in verse 18, two phrases, because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Again, when Paul uses the word here, ignorance, he is not talking about a lack of knowledge. He's not talking about somebody who is uh, completely absent of any gathering of information. He's talking about a mindset. They may be brilliant, but at the end of the day, compared with the truth of God, it's still ignorance. A second cause is a hardened heart. And I, I see here the relationship that Paul makes. There's a relationship between the mind and the heart. When he speaks of the hardening of their hearts, he's referring to the impact with which the hardened heart has on the mind. You see, when a person has hardness of heart, it keeps them from seeing things the way they really are. And there's a biblical example for us in the Old Testament in the Exodus. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I'm going to set my people free. Now that's all you really need to know about the story. It's going to happen. But the rest of the story is about how God does that. And how God brings that about, of course, is he sends a man, Moses, to be his spokesperson. And Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, just give him the message. Just tell him I'm going to set my people free and just tell him let my people go. Well, Pharaoh digs in his heels and God sends the plagues upon Egypt and each one gets more and more and more severe, ten of them. But you know, you think along the way, hello, McFly you think eventually he'd get the message, right? Because the people who are around him are getting the message, and even his own people are coming to him and say, Hey, just let them go! But because of the hardness of his heart, 
Pharaoh dug his heels in and would not let God's people go. You see, there's an association between the mind and the heart. That the hardness of the heart affects our thinking. And thinking and behaving as a Christian requires, Paul says, leaving the world behind. And being in Christ requires living according to what you were taught. Now look at verses 20 and 21 in Ephesians chapter 4. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. What Paul is doing in verse 20 is he's um, trying to show the continuity between what he taught and what he is writing to them in this letter. Now, Paul spent, I, I mentioned a few moments ago, and as you now know, he spent some considerable amount of time in Ephesus in fact, believers first came to faith in Christ because Paul went there and he shared the gospel with them. But he didn't just tell them, you know, hey, turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. He taught them many things about what it meant to follow Christ. And when we read this statement in verse uh, 20, that is not how you came to know Christ. That's the way it's translated in the Christian Standard Bible, but... If you look at other translations, and there may be many different translations of the Bible represented here, they, if to, be, to qualify as a biblical translation, you come from the, the best manuscripts of the Greek and the Hebrew text that we have. That's how we got our Bible. And archaeologists have found there's very little variance, if any, in between those earliest manuscripts that we have and the English translations that we read today. But you have some options with those words. You can translate a word, the same word one way or another way. You can just use a different word, meaning the same thing, but use a different word. Now, in the Christian Standard Bible, it uses or makes the expression, this is not the way you came to know Christ. Interestingly, as I was looking at that verse, I found out that the New International Version, the King James Version, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, they all translated it differently, but the same way amongst those translations. And this is what those translations say. You did not, this is not the way you learned Christ. I want you to hold on to that. Because that's not typically the way we talk about conversion. I mean, and we talk about conversion, sometimes we use biblical terminology like being born again. That's what we talk about when we talk about being converted. But there are a lot of phrases that we use that are unbiblical, or at least not as overtly biblical as some that we could use, and one of those is, ask Jesus to come into your life. Now, if you think about it, 
I mean, if we just stop and think about that phrase, that's really very self-serving. It's kind of like, okay, Jesus, come in. It's me inviting the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. Come into my life. Paul says that is not the way you learned Christ. When you learned Christ, you learned him that there is no distance between evangelism and discipleship. You see, we have many times come to believe about salvation that, you know, well, I'll trust Jesus. And then, you know, what we say as a church, and later on if we get around to it, but we'll teach them what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, Paul said, this is front-end loaded. Jesus never had any fine print in the contract. He would say to people, he says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to lay down your life. You're going to have to die to yourself. And you're going to have to come after me. One guy says, sign me up. I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, what? Hold on, buddy. Let me tell you something. Let me explain it to you this way. We're not spending the night at the Holiday Inn. We're out on the road and we're going to be like camping out with no running water. We're going to be out here and it's going to be rough. Another guy says, I'll follow you, Jesus. And he says, wait a second, let me explain something to you. You're going to have to leave your family behind who doesn't believe in Jesus and you're going to have to follow after me regardless of what's going on at home and you're going to be pulled back in that direction and you're going to have to go with me. You see, Jesus, John the Baptist, others, they all explained what repentance meant. Repentance meant turning your back on the way things were and going in a new direction with Jesus Christ. I don't have anybody in mind except myself here, but for us, sometimes it seems to me that evangelizing seems to be more of a sales presentation, which seeks to quickly get to the bottom line. Let's make the sale. And let's get somebody to sign up, and we never explain to them the fine print, but with Jesus, you see, nothing's back-end loaded. With Jesus, everything was up front. And so what Paul is saying is, this is not how you learn Christ. I told you about these things before you came to faith in Jesus. I explained the gospel to you in full. And when I explained the full gospel to you, what I told you is that don't be surprised when you experience suffering. That's part of it. That comes with it. But you know what we try to do? We try to cut all of those pieces out of it. Why? So we can make the sale. And what he says is, he says, no, I want you to understand, Christian, that when you believed in Jesus, you needed to both accept and expect that you were going to suffer in following Christ. This is hardly a concept we get in America because life is so easy and so comfortable to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, our idea of following Jesus 
was getting up this morning and getting dressed and maybe getting to church without having to fight in the car on the way here. That's our definition of how it's difficult to follow Jesus in America. But Paul assumes that those who have come to Christ have already learned much about him and about the nature of the Christian life which should result from trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And this is what he points out to them in verses 20 and 21. When he says to them in this passage, he says, you know, following Christ, being in Christ requires living according to what you have been taught. There's a reason why faith in Christ and learning Christ are closely related. And he explains this in verse 21. Look at it. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is not just a messenger of the truth. Jesus is the truth. We can't come to faith in Christ Jesus without changing our thinking. And that's what true repentance is all about. It's seeing life no longer from just our perspective, but it's seeing life from God's perspective. Our relationship to the world and to our own flesh is simply, Paul is saying, it's really just the outworking of the gospel which we've already learned when we came to Christ. These are not new things I'm sharing with you. These are things that I explained to you before. That leaving our old ways is going to require us dealing with the world around us and the flesh within us. <clears throat> A couple of months ago, in fact, it was Easter my oldest grandson yeah I know I don't look that old but I my oldest grandson is eight and my son-in-law has been t talking with him for some time and my son-in-law my daughter bring their kids to church and my son-in-law reads scripture with them and prays with them at home and uh, they've been encouraged spiritually in many different ways but my son-in-law called me and he said, you know, Hayes is coming to us and he's asking questions about salvation. Now Jason, my son-in-law, didn't come to faith in Christ until his high school years. And so he had some things that he had to deal with that were negatives that didn't really get dealt with until later in his life. And yet when he came to faith in Christ, he came with it with his, a new seriousness about the temptations and the failures and the things that he was leaving behind and what Christ had done for him. And because he was older, his mind was more expanded, he could take in so much more about what it meant to be a Christ follower. And he's thinking to himself, what's the rush on this thing? There's no clock on this thing. Why hurry up with the decision? And he called me and he asked me, what do you think? And I said, well, it sounds to me like God is calling the boy. Calling him to salvation. And I said, you know, in the Bible, Jeremiah was called before he was born. In the Bible, Samuel was called as a child. In the Bible, 
Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And he held them up and he said, this is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the problem's not with the children, the problem's with the adults. So I shared this with my son-in-law. And it reminds me of something that Paul says later in this letter in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, fathers, do not bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And Paul is saying to these people, being in Christ requires living according to what you were taught. And this is the end of that conversation about my son-in-law and my grandson. I said, Jason, I've always tried to explain this to others this way, that when a child comes to faith in Christ, it puts a greater burden on the parents as the disciplers. And it's not just what we say, it's what we show. It's not either or, it's both and. And if we have anything to fear with the child coming to faith in Christ, it's the responsibility that God has placed on us as parents to set that kind of example for them as they grow into adulthood. Do you remember that I said the title of this morning's message was something very practical? This is about leaving our old ways behind. Do you see how this ties into you as a parent being the disciple maker? There's a third thing that Paul says, and that is being in Christ requires putting off the old and putting on the new. Look at verses 22 to 24 again. The truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And you know, earlier we read Ephesians chapter 2, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, what we saw there was that we were subject to the world, the flesh, and the devil. In most instances, the devil exercised his control of our lives because we succumb to the external pressure of the world and the internal pressure of the flesh. He doesn't have to work at it too hard. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 19, what we saw was that he speaks to us about turning from the corrupting influences of the world in which we live. That's our culture. And now what he does is he wraps up. He brings it back around. And he says here, I want you to see in verses 22 to 24, he shows us that we are to deal with the corrupting influences of the flesh that is inside us. Paul refers to our old self as the marginal note in the New American Standard Bible puts it, our old man. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, 
the old self would be synonymous with the mindset of the flesh and the new self is synonymous with the mindset of the spirit. We've got to put off the old man. We've got to put on the new man. While the old nature is continually being corrupted by deceitful desires, the new nature is renewing us in accordance with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Our own nature and its deeds are not merely to be rejected. They are to be replaced. I want to share a few verses with you, and I want you to turn with me to see them. And I want you to pay close attention while we read them. We're not going to read a great deal, but I want you to look at, first of all, John chapter 15. John 15. Now this is Jesus speaking. John 15, verse 4. Pay close attention. Remain in me and I in you just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain where? In me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains where? In me. And I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Lengthy passage, we're not going to read all of it, but I want to hit some of the highlights. Verse 4. Romans 6, 4. Therefore we were buried with him, that is Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the, Father, uh, by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be slaves to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, verse 11, reckon yourselves or consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Where? Where? In Christ Jesus. And then he says this in verse 14. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Turn over to the book of Colossians quickly. Colossians chapter 1. Listen to verse 27. Remember I said pay close attention to the wording of these verses. Colossians 1.27. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this ministry, which is Christ, where? In you, the hope of glory. Chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I know I got you in a rundown here like a baseball game, but in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verses 10 and 11 in chapter 8 of Romans. Now if Christ is where? In you. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. Then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives where? In you. Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives where? In me. Our old nature and its deeds are not merely to be rejected, they're to be replaced. This is the key to leaving our old ways behind us. In other terms, this is what some have called the exchanged life. When I came to faith in Christ, what happened? I exchanged my old life of sin in exchange for Jesus' life of righteousness. And it is Christ in me that is my hope of glory. This, this, this is the gospel. This is the good news. It is no longer I who is trying to make these changes in my life. I have exchanged my life of sin for the life of Jesus. The life that I lived in the flesh has died. It's not maybe no more. It is no more. I am now alive in Jesus. I have been raised to newness of life in Christ. Not maybe. I have been. It has happened. It is real. I can count on it. This is a truth that goes widely overlooked, misunderstood, or never stated to us as Christians. And yet it's at the very heart of the gospel. Otherwise, what happens is we accept Jesus by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone, and then we enter into a works type of faith. You know, we're grading each other on who's doing a little better than the other one. If there's any grading going on, give Jesus an A+. He thought of everything. He took care of it all. Reminds me of the boxers going into the round. 
He goes in there and takes a left, takes a right. He's dazed and confused, comes back, sits over in the counter. His manager is saying to him in the counter, he hadn't touched you yet, champ. He hadn't touched you yet. Goes back in, black eye, bloody nose. He comes back to the counter staggering again. The manager says, he hadn't touched you yet, champ. He hadn't touched you yet. This goes on for several rounds. He hadn't touched you yet. He hadn't touched you yet, champ. The boxer looks over and his manager says, well, then would you keep an eye on the referee because somebody in there is beating the heck out of me. The reason why we have such a hard time believing this is because we read the scripture as I read a few moments ago in in Romans chapter 6 verse 14, sin shall no longer be master over you. And we realize that's not true of me. I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm following Jesus. But man, sin is just wearing me out. He hadn't touched you yet, champ. Well, keep an eye on somebody because they're beating the heck out of me. The world, the flesh, the devil. A number of years ago, I came across a book called The Overcoming Life written by Watchman Nee who lived more than a century ago in China, a Chinese Christian. And a Chinese believer, a lady, came to him and said to him, it's easy for others to overcome, but it's very difficult for me. You see, I'm, my temper's worse than anybody else's. My thoughts are more unclean than others, and I'm more ill-natured than others are. I just can't control myself. And Watchman Nee said this, you're right. Not only is it difficult for you to overcome, it is impossible for you to overcome. You see, I'm in a room full of people this morning that are thinking like this. Some of us have this mistaken idea that if a person is a little more honest or a little more well-tempered or than we are, then somehow it's easier for them to follow Christ than it is for us. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that the more moral, the more good person has it just as difficult as the other person. But the truth of Scripture and the gospel is this, victory is not overcoming by yourself. It's Christ overcoming for you. The kind of victory in the Bible is seen in Galatians 2.20. No longer I, but Christ. I, you see, has been taken out of the equation. Now it's Christ. This is rarely shared with people on the front end of the gospel. I guess it's because we're afraid that if we really tell them the truth, that your old self has died and now... Leave that behind. That they won't follow or trust Jesus because, you know, I want to hold on to some things back there. But now, 
It's Christ. You're in a whole other realm. It's Jesus in us that is what Colossians says, our hope of glory. That's what happens at salvation. Christ exchanges our old lives for his. I want to illustrate this just very simply. Anybody here have an old Bible where the cover has just kind of, you know, the spine has kind of fallen off, the inside you've got some of the glue has come off and you've got some pages that, I mean, a little section maybe that will coming out of it or maybe, you know, you've thumbed it over the years so many times you've got some smudge marks. Perhaps it's even old enough that you've got some that's just completely faded out. Now, what you can do is you can take a pen, maybe take it to somebody who deals with books and get them to fix that cover on the outside and get a new cover and then get them to glue those pages back in the right place. And you can take a pen and you can start tracing over the word. But even then we aren't sure that we have everything correct. Now that's one way we could go about it. Or I could just hand you a new Bible. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about fixing things up a little bit at a time. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about being new creatures in him. Friends, Christ didn't save us so that we could just live any way we choose. He moved us into a totally other dimension. And I want to just give a quick testimony here. What victory I have had over things that are a part of my past has come from renewing my mind with this thought of the exchanged life. Not I, but Christ. Other attempts have all failed me. Other approaches, other ways. They all failed me. You know, I'm never going to do that again. I do it again. It's the exchange life that is the secret to victory in leaving the past behind us. We want to leave our old ways behind. We need to take the heed what the scripture says to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, church signs have always been amusing to me. The messages on the church signs, let's be honest, some of them are kind of cheesy. But 30 years ago, I read a message on a church sign 30 years ago that struck a chord with me and has stuck in my mind. The message read, Come in and alter your life. 
but the word altar was not spelled A-L-T-E-R. It's spelled A-L-T-A-R. Isn't that the secret to leaving our old ways behind us? coming in and altering our lives by putting our lives on the altar and saying to God here is my body, here is my mind here is my life, it is my offering to you and that's God's invitation to us today to alter our lives Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. I mean, what is Christianity if it's just about me trying to do the best job to follow you that I possibly can? Lord, I know that my own human effort is not out of the equation but I know that the greatest effort and the one that will pay the greatest benefits in my own life is renewing my mind with the things of God and the truths of God. And it's what distinguishes me from my past when I thought as I thought. So Lord, today with these friends We come to that one-on-one -on -one time when if we were in this room all by ourselves, it'd be the only thing that really matters. And even surrounded by many other people, it is the only thing that matters. Now today in your mind and your heart, in your prayer time right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you just to visualize placing your body on an altar for God as an offering. Are you there? Lord, thank you that this is the offering you accept. And we come and we lay ourselves before you and say, Jesus, take all of me. I take all of you.